Hello, my name is Krista Jones, founder and CEO of Virginia Leadership Institute, and welcome to our show, A Seat at the Table. The purpose of this show is to bring together thought leaders and experts on different fields to talk about how we can help you become inspired and get your seat at the table. Today, our topic is women's empowerment, and we have two wonderful guests who I've actually admired for a long time. We have Marge Signer with the National Organization for Women and Lisa Lynn Jacobs, the Vice President of Government Relations for Legal Momentum. Welcome, Marge, and welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Thank Krista. You. Great to be here. Thank you both for coming today. So let's go ahead and get started. Can you tell me a little bit about how, on an individual level, you each got involved in women's issues? We'll start with Marge. I think I got involved because I was born female. And I looked around and saw how I was being treated and how other girls were being treated and how boys were treated. And there was just a great difference. I really wasn't expected to be as smart or work as hard or anything really as the the boys around me or the young men around me it was just there the expectation was not there and as i got older i saw that more and more wow. and um this amazing nigerian writer just just very recently was in arlington said yes. yeah when she spoke it yeah and and she said um Girls are treated like that. Yeah. They're treated like they're, there's not much expected of them. I guess you could call that uh, low expectations. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a kind of, of horrible discrimination. And I think I always felt that. And as I got older, I just continued to feel that and saw it in other women and other girls and wanted to change that. Excellent. Thank you. Lisa, how did you get involved, and why is it important to you to be involved with women's issues? Sure. Um, so I came of age after the women's movement. I was born in the mid-60s, so in the 70s, my family is Episcopalian, so I can remember when the Episcopal Church became, began ordaining women. My wow. mother, my father, was an Episcopal priest. Um, ultimately, I went to a women's college and then began women's studies. I was nearly a double major. I was a political science major, but nearly a double major in women's studies. Um, so always sort of interested in those issues. I often say to people that although I live in Northern Virginia, Senator Barbara Mikulski was the first senator I ever voted for. So, you know, watching women come yes. to power, whether in the church or in politics, is something that I have a lot of familiarity with and something I had a lot of passion about. Um, went to law school, did some work with foundations and nonprofits right out of law school. I did Georgetown's Women's Law and Public Policy Fellowship the goal of which is to encourage more women to go into public policy positions. Um, so after a few years in private practice and then a few years at the Justice Department under Janet Reno, and that Justice Department in particular had the distinction of having a lot of women in senior leadership positions. Um, so my work as a woman of color has fairly neatly and consistently alternated between working on issues of gender and issues of race and where I could manage it, both of them, at the same time. Excellent. Wonderful. Thank you very much. So what, for both of you, what are some of the most pressing issues facing women today and how have you seen the movement change over the years? Mark? Pressing issues include the, the small, the specific issues of sexual assault, sexual harassment, lack of opportunity in the workplace, uh, lack of 
of any formal kind of child care mm -hmm. structure in the United States, unequal pay, uh, where a woman has to work 16 months in order to make what a man works in 12 months, and that's a best possible scenario mm -hmm. too often. But there are many, there are many deeper, I think, things going on. Um, I think Hillary Clinton's candidacy is going to open our a lot of eyes mm. uh, uh, to a lot of these things. But one of the things that I think is so important about feminism and the women's movement, at least as I understand it, was the hope to change society, not for women to become like men, mm -hmm. but for people to change and to make it a more just, equitable, uh, nurturing society. Not that we will stop, we won't stop being competitive, I don't think, but a society that's more open and inclusive. And uh, that, I think, is the biggest challenge. I think really changing society so that it is less hierarchical, less patriarchic, perhaps less matriarchic, but 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 more uh, humanistic. And that, I think, is something that is going to be uh, a, a challenge for not next year or the next 10 years, but forever. I think it's a ch we need to have a change in, in our power relations and, and the way we see ourselves. Well, have you seen that change over time? No. <laughs> not, not much at all? No, no, I haven't seen it. As a matter of fact, I've seen it gone backwards. Wow. I think in the early days, I mean, I am you know, was, was involved in the women's movement in the early days. Uh -huh. And of the second wave. I <laughs> <laughs> And um, I think there was a sense that it was possible to change. Um, we were going to make it a more welcoming society, a, a, a cultural shift. Mm -hmm. It wasn't only going to be getting laws for equal pay or getting laws for um, uh, against sex discrimination or other types of legal remedies. There would also be a change in the way people related. And I think what's happened instead is that women have gotten into what is essentially a male power structure, and we're fighting in the male power structure to get, yeah. as you say, a, a, a place at the table right. instead of changing the, the table. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we don't have to fight to get a place at it. So it's there's an assumption that we're all welcome. That is not happening. That's, that's a bigger fight. Well, let's stay on this point. So I'd like to get both of your perspectives. How mm -hmm. do we do that? How do we just get a whole new table? Talk about it. I, there's not even any awareness of it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I firmly believe one of the greatest strengths of the women's movement, the feminist movement, has been basing our political actions on our personal, our personal understandings and mm -hmm. our personal experiences. And that is terribly hard. You have to get out of this echo chamber, as we right. call it, of people saying what they heard and mm -hmm. reinforcing and saying the same yeah. thing and talking points and message points and get people to be quiet and reflect on their lived mm -hmm. experience. And I, I think that's an enormous challenge. Lisa, do you have any thoughts on that particular issue? Um, I do, and I agree with much of what Marge said. I mean, I'm going to step back maybe to answer one of the, the first questions mm -hmm. that you asked, but it, it leads very much to that. I think 
you were asking, among other things, about sort of what some of the pressing exactly. issues are, and I was talking about being a woman, a woman of color, um, particularly police violence, mm -hmm. violence against people of color, and we have now the Black Lives Matter movement, but I find that in particular quadrants, that becomes a discussion about violence against black men. And what that means is we don't talk enough about the right. violence against black women. That's right. Whether or not it is police homicide, whether or not it is police sexually assaulting women or beating up young women exactly. as we just saw in McKinney, Texas. Um, but to the point that Marge was making about communication and last week, we were having a series of very different discussions, one at the beginning of the week about Caitlyn Jenner, and then at the end of the right. week it became Rachel Dolezal, or yeah. Dolezal. <laughs> and then the questions became, the Caitlyn folks didn't want to continue to have the conversation in the Rachel context, which I thought was a real concern, because in my mind we were sort of queued up, let's have these discussions about what does it mean essentially to be a woman? What does it mean essentially to be a person of color? Yeah. Because many people said of Rachel, she was doing the work. Mm -hmm. You know, there are authentic authenticity <laughs> questions, she was doing the work. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we are having this discussion or we are at this moment with this epic amount of police violence because we are a country that has never talked about it. Yes. Talked about the toxicity of the history of race and violence in this country. And so it continues to happen and police are exonerated when they're standing on the hood of a car, firing into a car at people who are unarmed. And this continues to happen. So until we have the conversations that Marge is talking about, until we have those Rachel and Caitlin conversations and can actually engage one another. I mean, I, I think many people are aware, you know, there was a horrible homicide in a church last night, oh. you know, and the things it's that just... that young man had to say were historically inaccurate to say the least. And people yeah. clearly had heard him saying, I'm sure, racist problematic things about which he had not been challenged until we simultaneously, respectfully engage people when we don't agree with them, but otherwise figure out how to foster these discussions. I think we're very much going to be stuck. This is something, uh, there, there's, uh, there's this concept that I, I believe, I believe, it's, I believe it, it's internalized depression. I can't speak to people of color feeling this, but I can certainly speak to myself as a woman. Internalized depression means you see what society is doing mm -hmm. and saying, and you maybe mentally know it's wrong, but some, but, but it's it's your world. It's yeah. it's your environment. Uh, for women, it's sexism. For people of color, it's sexism and racism together. I, I for other uh, for other people, you know, there are other issues too. But this sense of of women, men are the norm in in our world, in our society, in our world. Women are the um, sort of, almost sometimes, with the exception. Men are the rule, women are the exception. Mm -hmm. So we're just amazed we have three women on the Supreme Court. <laughs> right. Why are we amazed? Exactly. Well, because historically, this has been a, a man's world. And I think women have, um, at least at least I, I can speak for myself, I am aware of this 
sense of internalized oppression and I have to look at it and deal with it and I will see it in other women too. But uh, the other big, big thing, uh, issue that we have to always address is political participation. Mm -hmm. We have to keep pushing. Mm -hmm. I know your institute is doing this. I think it's fantastic. Uh, there are other groups that are now working intensively on training women, mm -hmm. on preparing women for office um, or for leadership roles. And I think we need that. I think women need the kind of old boy network that men have had. Yeah. <laughs> and the you know and the other thing that uh, is is I was thinking over what we we're going to talk about is the fact that women are 50% of the population and we sure don't act like it That's and right. neither does anybody else That's right. act like it. That's right. We we're not there not in numbers mm -hmm. and not in in awareness necessarily not in being forthright and um, we're a little I'm generalizing, but perhaps a little cautious. You know, I cautious. just, yeah, you're <laughs> right. Um, I attended the Women's Campaign School at Yale. It's a 20-year mm. program. It's Fantastic. fabulous. I went oh. last week. Yeah. It was just excellent to see so many women from around the world. I mean, they bring in women from different countries, around the nation, different races. It was just wonderful to see all those women who were so confident and ready to take on the world. And that's something that so many speakers said is that women are, and they said they were using the number 53 and 54 percent of the population, mm -hmm. but we act like a minority group. Mm -hmm. And it was just so powerful <laughs> really to see the, how we worked together, how we thought along the same lines for so many women's issues, whether mm -hmm. it was black women's issues or um, Latino women's issues. And I think you are exactly right. That's where we need to go. We need to just start thinking differently. Where do you all see Hillary playing a role in all this? You said that you think that she, she will definitely change the conversation. Yeah. Um, in terms of political participation, how do you think her running, whether she wins or not, is going to change history? Running again oh, is going to change history. I was, women are being Hillary, ready for Hillary. They're mm -hmm. ready. Mm -hmm. They're ready. You, I mean, you just mm -hmm. ask people at random and yeah, it's exciting. It's like Barack. It's just another, yeah, it's huge. Good point. It's just huge. And I think the problem is going to be all of the doubts creeping up and the mm -hmm. hesitations and mm -hmm. oh, gee, I wish this and oh, the emails and this bad <laughs> mm -hmm. thing and that bad mm -hmm. thing. It's just going to be, you know, drip, 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 drip. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, she's eminently qualified. And, you know, you listen to her recent speeches, they're brilliant. In a, not, not brilliant in an intellectual way, but I think instinctively brilliant. I think she just, you know, she just got, had a lot of experience, mm -hmm. really good experience. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a role model. We're going to see a mature woman who has been through the worst, the most humiliating things on a personal and professional level. And she has been at the top and at the bottom. And she has come through, I think partly, honestly, because of her faith. Mm -hmm. I think her religious background has been important to her. She's a Methodist and I think, and a Midwestern girl. <laughs> and from a great background, you hear her talk about her mother, you know, this is all real, mm -hmm. really real. It's, it's, it's great. Right. 
It's going to change the conversation. Definitely. Lisa, I want to get your thoughts on political participation of women, mm -hmm. but also African-American women. We mm -hmm. tend to be a very reliable voting bloc. Right. Um, and I'm just curious as to why you think we are not more represented in the political arena mm -hmm. as well. Sure. Um, to the questions about Hillary, mm -hmm. you know, I think she is a great strategist. I think that she is really smart about the people with whom she surrounds herself. You know, so if you look at the people that she is bringing in to run yep. her campaign, it's very mm -hmm. interesting. You're seeing a lot of African-American yes. women involved, you know, in the political and the sort of what I refer to as the ground game and the strategizing and everything else. You know, I think, again, Hillary being very sort of politically astute, understands that in a place here like Virginia, our current governor is governor, not only because of women, but because of African-American women. Right. And I think that people are beginning to understand that. Um, if they didn't, I think they came to understand it in the middle, in the, in the midterms. Mm -hmm. You know, I work with uh, Melanie Campbell mm -hmm. of the Black Women's Roundtable, and yes. I heard her talking about how really you know, the themes of the midterm election really were not engaging black mm. women or women of mm. color, you know, and I think we really did see, we expected a certain slump in terms of people coming out to vote, but, you know, that slump at this point, you know, what uh, candidates are trying to do is what I refer to as leveraging the margin. They're trying to get that same chunk of people, mm -hmm. um, and our chunk of people were not motivated. Okay. So, yeah. you know, I think the real challenge is you probably saw last week is to figure out ways in which to, you know, elevate women's participation, whether um, as political strategists, whether as candidates or otherwise, because, you know, I think we bring a different dimension to this. We and do. this is a country yeah. that is increasingly minority, whether yeah. or not it is that women exceed 50%, whether or not it is that people of color, African Americans and Latinos. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're sitting in Arlington in Prince William County, which is just two counties down. It's a majority minority county. Right. So that is the direction that we are moving in. And I think the candidates that are best able to engage all parts of the electorate, um, as opposed to sort of trotting out the same kind of divisive, we are not Thank talking you. about things, we don't have a plan. Right. You know, our answer is no, but we don't have a plan. That really is not working for people. It's not moving mm -hmm. people anywhere in this economy, and it certainly isn't motivating them to come out and vote. So, you know, we may be moving into a new paradigm here. Excellent point. So as we wrap up, I'd love to get both of your thoughts on where you think the women's movement is moving to the future. So we talked about we definitely need to change the paradigm. We need to change how we're thinking about it. We talked about increasing political participation and how we message and how we work mm -hmm. with and respond to all types of women. But right. in the future, where do you see us going? I think there's got to be cultural change. I think that's what where we're going. Mm -hmm. I think the legal stuff you can just see talking about laws and legality and this is you see everybody's eyes sort of glaze mm -hmm. over, not interested. Talk about slut walk. Mm -hmm. Talk about the, you know, riot girls, whatever, all these, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Talk mm -hmm. about these kind of very um, interesting, mm -hmm. exciting cultural things. And people People are interested. That captures mm -hmm. their attention. And maybe it's because we're in an elect electronic culture now and everything is very, very fast. Yeah, right. Maybe a little shallow and superficial, but very fast. So maybe that is what people are interested in. 
Um, but I mean, the whole thing with Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner, what is a woman? I mean, that was so right on. What is a woman? We are looking at a, a mind-blowing change. Yes. Mm -hmm. Look at her picture <laughs> yeah. on Vanity the Fair. cover of Vanity Fair. <laughs> yeah, right. She was all, you know, wearing like a corset. She right. was like being the stereotypical, you mm -hmm. know, sort of Marilyn Monroe figure. And that is didn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. So I think we're really looking at a, cultural at what our cultural norms mm -hmm. are i think yeah. we're past perhaps the uh the, the the legal there are many legal things many court cases we're going to keep on fighting but i think we're going into more culture and definitely mm -hmm. more many more th things are possible about sexuality yeah. sexual assault sexual expression mm -hmm. it's going to be all about sex <laughs> and Lisa, what do you think? Where are we going? Um, so, I mean, again, March has set me up quite well. Uh, one of the things that I work on, in a good way, yeah. I mean, you have paved the road. Right. That is what I mean. Um, so, a big chunk of the work that I do at Legal Momentum has to do with advocacy on behalf of survivors of sexual and domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, increasingly we have begun having conversations about what's going on at what I will refer to as both ends of the maybe the age spectrum mm. because increasingly we're talking about campus sexual assault. Mm. There are those of us who sort of sit on a steering committee and do what I will refer to as the federal work whether or not it's reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act or working on appropriations in those out years. But, you know, we do a lot of advocacy around campus sexual assault, but we historically have not had the campus advocates themselves at the table. Not hmm. because we didn't want to have them there, but because even when we were doing the most recent Violence Against Women Act, Break the Cycle is a group that does yes. those youth issues, but is not always, was not at that point, perhaps, you know, as on point with, with respect to who worked for them, if mm -hmm. you will. We were just at the White House a couple of weeks ago talking about violence against women in older life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, for the next, I believe, right. 17 years, um, 10,000 people are going to turn 65 every day. Oh, wow. And what does that mean for <laughs> the kinds of violence that, you know, it's the baby boom era. It's, you know, it's an era that Hillary Clinton is going to be very, you know, well-placed to speak to, but that too is not a spectrum that we have so centrally focused on in the context of violence against women. So in that particular part of the women's movement or of the anti-violence movement, you know, we did a lot of work about LGBT issues in this last violence against women right. uh, bill. So I tend to talk to call it sexual and domestic violence rather than violence against women because okay. anyone can be victimized right. by intimate partner violence. But bringing, you know, people at all parts of the lifespan or the life spectrum, I think, is going to be really a part of what Marge was talking about before, which is enlarging the table and enlarging the discussion and figuring out how we can, you know, make policy and make laws that are responsive to all of us, whether or not we're in college, whether or not we're of childbearing years, whether or not we are 65 or 75, and, you know, whether or not the person who might be abusing us is our caregiver, which was something that we were talking about in that context, because you don't not have the violence issues as you get older, they just potentially look different. I think 
Also, what's going to happen is that there have been these organizations, you could name them, now would be one very well known mm -hmm. organization, or anyhow, and, and that are known as women's organizations. I think all of that is going away. I think it's now people. I think people are going, moving yes. throughout yes. every, mm -hmm. er, people who have been empowered by feminist ideals. Men and women, I suppose mostly men, oh, excuse me, women, but I think men too. And we're going to be everywhere. We're not going to be confined. And wow. we're going to be building networks the way uh, you do, Krista. <laughs> we right. are, we're, we're feminized. Yeah. <laughs> no. We have these ideas. And we don't need a membership card or to pay our dues in order to mm -hmm. express them. Exactly. And, um, and you know, I, I'm a second wave feminist. My daughters are almost 40 years old, or well, one's 31 and the others are almost 40. And so they're, I guess, third wave. <laughs> <laughs> and they're my daughter and my mm -hmm. son, you know, and they're out there. Right. Have, so you have the sons and daughters of feminists exactly. who are out there and exactly. they have been influenced and they may not be card-carrying members of any feminist organization, right. but they have grown up knowing uh, that there is, it, that gender equality is a value that is important. Definitely. Well, thank you both. This has been a great discussion. <laughs> thank you, Marge Signer with National Organization for Women. Thank you, Lisa Lynn Jacobs with Legal Momentum. Thanks, Krista, for having us on. Thank you.